0: Lord, we don't sing songs, we offer our worship to the King who is worthy. And Lord, you say that you inhabit the praises of your people, and that we're two or more gathered, that you're in the midst. And just as you, Lord, were with Joseph in Egypt, in prison, in Potiphar's house, Lord, you're with us right now, right here, at this moment. And you never leave us, and you never forsake us. We pray today, God, that no matter what our lives are currently facing, that we would understand the lessons that you're trying to teach us. That our ears would hear what you want us to hear, that our eyes would see what you want us to see. And that our hearts would be transformed and changed and more like Jesus Christ every day. We're so thankful that goodness and mercy does follow us all the days of our life. And Lord, we can't even imagine that day when we dwell in your house forever. Use today to build our faith, to strengthen our walk, Lord. Use us in one another's life as we're here, not just to be ministered to, but to minister to one another. And prepare us for the week that lies ahead. Could be the last week, Lord. Lord. Before the church is summons to glory. And I pray everyone in this room, all of us, would finish well. For your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis 45, that's where we're going to be today. I don't know if you could or I don't know if you even should rank different sections of the Bible as being maybe your favorites. Um, but I do know this, that just going through the life of Joseph really is one of my favorite sections of the Old Testament. Um, I see so much of Jesus in him. And, and I look at this guy and I remember that up to this point, all he's got is the oral account of genesis 1 to genesis 45 we've got it all there's no nothing given to us in the bible that he's had any baptism of the holy spirit but that's available to us all so when I look at his life and I look at how it honored God and how it brought great glory to God regardless of adversity and troubles and circumstances I know this that if we can see it in his life we know that in our life it's possible because of who is doing a work in each one of us. So Genesis 45 really as I was thinking about it, you know, we live in a day where, you know, there's so many repair businesses. You know, you've got car repair, computer repair, appliance repair, and now phone repair. And they're just a necessity. And they're extremely busy because products get easily broken. Because products can be very fragile. They can be misused and they can be mishandled. God's heart's repair. And there's a lot of relationships and a lot of people that are broken in this life. But this chapter, we watch our God of repair and restoration working his character through a servant that was in full surrender to him. Nowhere studying the life of Joseph do we see him resisting God. We don't see it. Now, I want you to remember that as we go into this chapter because this is a beautiful chapter. But the past history of his relationship with these brothers, minus Benjamin, was, he was hated by them. They were envious of him. They contemplated his execution. He was abused by them physically and verbally, and then he was human trafficked by them. Sold for 20 pieces of silver. In so doing, they separated from his father that he loved from his brother that he loved. He's on the heels of recovering from his mourning from his mother that died and giving birth to his brother. He goes to Egypt, he's isolated, in Potiphar's house, falsely accused, and he's in prison and forgotten. You think you're having a bad day. The difference maker that is the character changer is simply this. The Lord was with Joseph. There are things that are not recorded here in the book of Genesis that were taking place between the living God and this living servant. That's the difference maker in his life and it's the difference maker in our life that makes us a difference because that's what we've been called to be, being the light and salt of this earth. So when we look at this encounter that has been decades in the making, I want us to remember from Joseph's life, and he's going to show it to us, that the most precious treasures that we have in this life are found in relationships. This one first, and then all these down here. These are the things that have true value. Usually when I do a funeral, I will share with people that how many times I've heard, I'd give everything that I have if I could have one day back. Because everything that you have has no value compared to the relationship that you had with that person. And we need to get that today because these are relationships. They have the ability to be fractured. They have the ability to be damaged because they're very fragile. We're all very fragile no matter how tough you think you are. But we need to fight for them because these are the things that hold value that God has given us with one another. We all bring our flaws to the table. And we all need a whole lot of Jesus To guard, protect, and secure these great valuables that we have in one another. But with Joseph, okay, here we're going to see this chapter. What we're going to see, we're going to see so much of Jesus. We're going to see unconditional love. We're going to see forgiveness. We're going to see mercy. And we're going to see grace. And it all comes... Who knows if we would have seen all of these wonderful things of God working through his life if it wasn't for all the horrific things that he had to go through that led up to this chapter. We have to remember that Paul exhorted us in the book of Romans that God is doing things in our life to conform us into the image of Jesus. To make you and I more like Christ. That's the end goal. Right? To make you and I more like Jesus Christ is we go through life and as we encounter the different things that we encounter with God walking us through this. So we're called to be conformed in the image of Christ, but, but do you know where that is in the scripture? That in the scripture is found in Romans 8.29. Now, now that's not the one we quote. We quote 8.28, for God works all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But the problem with us as Christians is we read it this way, for God works all good things to the good. He works all things to the good. He works betrayal to the good. He works false accusation to the good. He can work being a victim to the good. Because that's what God's able to do. And we can't doubt the mighty hand of God and what he's able to do in our lives when we're living in this place of surrender like Joseph was. Being confident and comforted by this fact, God's with me. You need to know that today, no matter what you're facing, that the Lord is with you. And that's a difference maker. Now, as we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 45, he says this, And Joseph could not refrain himself before them that stood by him and he cried. Okay, we have seen shivers in the dam, haven't we? I mean, there, there's just been these moments where, like, this past. 20 years, all this emotion and you can identify with it. You you look at your past and you think of all the happiness that's mingled with the hurt and all the pain that's mingled with the promises and, and all the joy and everything else. It's all mingled together and, and he's processing this emotionally and he can't handle it anymore and the dam's about ready to break, the emotional dam. But all of it really, as we look at this, it says, "...and there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known to his brethren." All this, now, now remember, chapter breaks were put in uh, later just so we had easy reference in. This is from the flow of the end of chapter 44 that we saw last week, that there was a willingness of Judah to sacrifice himself for Benjamin, right? No, don't take Benjamin. Remember, he got set up for the cup. No. Joseph's testing him the whole time to see where they're at on the inside, Because anybody can fool you on the outside. I mean, he's the boss. I mean, he could just walk around. Yeah, I'll do whatever you want. But he wanted to see what was going on on the inside of them. So so Judah's willing to sacrifice himself for Benjamin. It showed two things. It showed his love for Benjamin, his brother. But it also showed his love for his father. Because he knew that if we don't bring Benny back, dad's going to keel over and croak. (laughs) I mean, they knew that. They knew that what he went through with Joseph was so traumatic that one more blow like that, dad's elderly, dad's going to be done. (coughs) So it showed his love for Ben. It showed his love for his father, Jacob. Uh, But it also showed a heart of change. And that's what Joseph was waiting to see. And I believe we're going to see why as we go through this. All the tests by Joseph was to see the interior truth, About who his brothers now are compared to who his brothers once were. And he sends everybody out. All right? It it says here that caused every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. Why? Because this is something very personal. I don't know, the Holy Spirit has really allowed you and I to step on sacred ground looking at this whole event. This is sacred ground. This is something that that was so fractured and so damaged that God's going to do such a great work and, and repair it and restore it and make it something so beautiful. And we get to see it because this is the way Christians are supposed to do life. This is the way we're called to do relationships. So it was personal between Joe and his brother. That's probably why he, he, he had them all move out. But also, I think with Joseph, I just look at his heart, and some of this is speculation, trust me, I know, but I'm saying it's possible it could be there, is that no one probably knew the backdrop of this relationship. And was it possible that Joseph was exercising a love towards his brothers in view of everybody else's view of them, where he just, his love was going to cover a multitude of their sins. And he was just going to deal with them one-on-one. So this is how we do it. Here's a great example to us. And and, and look at verse 2, and it says he wept aloud. So the emotional dam is broken, and, and he's uncontrollably weeping aloud. And the Egyptians and the house. A pharaoh heard it, he would have been adjoined, their houses would have been uh, pretty adjoined here, um, but 20 years of emotion, and, and all that he's been through, and I can't tell you what might possibly be going through his mind, you can only put yourself in that picture because the scripture doesn't tell us, but, but is it possible that this has been the answer to decades of praying? That's why we ought to pray, pray and, and faint not. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint. Is it possible that, that this has been decades of praying and now he's watching the faithfulness of God, not just bringing his brothers to him, but bringing them to him as changed men? Remember, we always saw, already saw it in the chapters that they had this great regret and they called it sin for what they did to their brother when he was in anguish of soul. So they lived with the guilt of that all these years. And Joseph said unto his brethren, now remember, remember that he has been speaking to them through an interpreter, okay? An Egyptian interpreter. He hasn't spoken to them. He just mumbled to his interpreter and his interpreter would speak in Hebrew to these individuals as they communicated. So the first words that come out of his mouth in their language, I am Joseph, Can you imagine? I mean, probably in their minds, that little dial's going, computing. <laughs> what in the world? You know, can you imagine the shock of that? He says, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? So, so we realize that he knew his father was old. He knew that if Benjamin didn't come back, his father could die. He didn't know the health he was in. He just wanted to know, is my dad still alive? All he wanted to do is have, have this reunion with his father again. The last time they heard him speaking to them in Hebrew was anguish from a pit that they abusively threw him in as he was begging them. And they were sitting there eating their meal and would not listen. Also as they stand before him he is the one that has power over life and death in their lives because of his position in Egypt. I wonder if it ran through their mind. Dream, remember, behold, the dreamer cometh. You know, he had these dreams that they'd be bowing down. I wonder if that ran through their mind. My goodness. He said that our sheaths would bow to his sheath. And how many times have we bowed before this guy? I don't know what God was doing in their heart at this time, but it says here that they were troubled at his presence. I bet they were. It means amazed, frightened, and also terrified. They don't, we have read the story, so we know how it goes. First, if this is the first time you've heard it, you don't quite know how it goes yet, but you're going to find out how it goes. So they don't know. They don't know if justice and judgment's coming. Execution. They have no idea. All they know is this is now the man who's the second leading in the most powerful nation of the world that had the sustenance to keep people alive during this famine. He had their life or death in his hands. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me. And he said, I'm Joseph, your brother oh, I hope they got this on film and glory. And look what he does here. He goes, who you sold to Egypt? Now, now they're probably thinking at the time, nobody knows that, including Benjamin. We're the only ones that know that. How could this guy know that unless this guy was our brother? And I look at that. Now, now verse 5 so he, he calls him out, man. He calls him out. He says, you sold me to Egypt, but he did it for a reason. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me. Therefore, God did send me before you to preserve life. So I believe that Joseph had a purpose <coughs> of why he was doing this. He wasn't doing this. He didn't call him out for selling them to, into Egypt. He didn't call him out to condemn them but he was touching on something they did in their past that had haunted them their whole lives. There's a lot of past in this room. And there can be a lot of haunting and guiltiness and condemnation. But it haunted them their whole lives. You could see that from the conversation that they had decades later that they had to deal with this their whole life, how badly they wronged him. But he did this so he could remove their guilt and their condemnation. Here's the difference. God sends the Holy Spirit into the world, into the believer's life, and he has a multitude of ministries to us. But one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. But this is what what God does. When our lives get off, he is so concerned about our lives being where they need to be for our own good as a faithful father that he uses the Holy Spirit to to realign us continually by convicting us of sin. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, he runs us to 1 John chapter one. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's nothing like being clean. You work a hard, laborious day and you get in the shower and you grab that soap and, your sh- and that shampoo and you walk in one way and you walk out another and it feels so good. And it's the same way with the Lord, man. You walk into his presence dragging something filthy, dirty, whatever took place, whatever adhered itself to you, whatever he did, said, whatever it might be, you bring it to him, you confess it. And confess literally means I call it what you call it, God, which means I'm not justifying or making excuses. I'm owning it before you and I get to get cleansed. I walk away clean. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And I see that that's what Joseph's trying to do. Yeah, I know you did this, but I want you to know that you're forgiven. Now, the other end, the opposite of conviction, is that condemnation of the devil. All right, And he piles up accusations, and he wants to bog us down with discouragement and guilt about what wretched people we are, what terrible people we are. And you know what? We can be at times. It's what the blood's for. It's what the spirit's for. To get us to a place where, where we can be forgiven, we can use the Word of God to continually Cleanse us, transform our minds, and and to renew us. I mean, that's a great, one of the great benefits of being a Christian is that when we do something wrong, we can admit it to God, we can repent of it, and we can be cleansed from it, and we keep moving forward. So we see that this is kind of what I believe Joseph is is doing here with his brethren. He says, now therefore, don't be grieved and don't even be angry with yourselves. He's trying to take that all off of them. They've carried it for 20 plus years. You know, Romans 8.1 tells us that there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ. No condemnation. So what, what does that mean? That means before I gave my life to Jesus Christ, before I put my trust in Christ and He became my Lord and Savior, I had a lot of condemnation. I carried a lot of guilt. Because when you don't know Christ, when you don't have Christ, you have nowhere to put that, nowhere to bring it, but once you know Christ... You can bring it to him, and he can forgive you. No condemnation to them which are in Christ who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The Spirit, the child of God led by the Spirit of God, is led away from the enemy of God. And I heard this this week as I'm looking at this study of Joseph. Joseph's heart, we're going to see his heart here. To return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. But to return good for evil is divine. And that's what we're going to see here take place with Joseph. One of the things that we need to remember is I, I don't know, our, our our minds kind of go the direction of ease and, and um, just calm waters all the time. But God is in the bad things of life. I'm not saying, he didn't create them. God doesn't create bad, he doesn't create evil, he doesn't create sin for you and I, nothing bad like that, but God is in the bad things of life. Didn't create them, but he can work in them something of great value and something of great purpose. So I think the key for you and I is to look away from the problem and to look to the purpose. I don't like what I'm going through right now. I don't like where I'm at right now. I don't like what I'm facing right now. But I'm looking away from that and I'm trying to see the hand of God and what he might possibly be doing. So as we look at that, I don't know when that realization took place in Joseph's life that brought the resolve that he's operating it. But this was his mindset and perspective. Was it possibly... You know, when he got sold to Potiphar, when it, was it when he got promoted to the second most powerful individual in Egypt? Was it when his brothers came and they bowed before? I don't know. But what I know is this guy chose, regardless of my temporal circumstances of life, I'm going to live with an eternal perspective. And it's not the easiest thing to do, but Paul told us that we needed to do it, that we need to look away from the things that are seen for their temporal and to look to the things that are unseen for their eternal. And that's not just something to tuck away in 2 Corinthians. That is something to live by and to have vision by as we walk through this gauntlet battle that we call life. So verse 5. He's got an opportunity here. And so don't we when someone has wronged us. Execution or restoration? You know what the flesh wants to do. You know when the Spirit of God's not leading, Peter got the ear, I want the head. But execution or restoration, that's the question. Now, we look at this. <clears throat> all that Joseph tested them with up to this point. Remember putting the money in the sacks, taking Simeon, and all of a sudden putting his cup in Benjamin's sack, bringing him back. Looked like he was playing games and, and, and messing with them, but he wasn't. He was testing them to see the true condition of his brother's heart. Because here's the thing that I believe, and I'll hold to this. If the heart doesn't change restoration would only be superficial and disingenuine. So he's operating out of wisdom. It would have been superficial. Oh yeah, we're so sorry. Well, you're the second leading guy and you got our our lives in your hand. What do you think I'm going to say? But because he saw the way that they reacted with Benjamin, the willingness to sacrifice self, the things that he overheard them talking about. And this is like the second or third time we find Joseph crying. He knew that the heart had changed. And when a heart changes, that's when restoration is possible. It takes two hearts willing to do it God's way. So I want to remove any condemnation from you because maybe you've tried to restore with somebody and they're not willing to because they're not yielded to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They don't want to do that. Hey, you played your part. You've done what you could. It takes two hearts. And I believe that this is great wisdom. Until things can get right on the vertical, they remain wrong on the horizontal. Now, if you go to Luke 16 with me for a moment, one of the most restorative chapters in the Bible. Go back 1 to 15, my bad. Luke 15. If you've ever gone wayward for a season, the devil's trying to beat you up with condemnation, read this chapter. It's amazingly restorative. It shows the heart of God. So, really, most of you know this, because so, uh, of time, we're not going to read the whole parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son. You know, you've probably heard it a hundred times. It's beautiful, because it manifests the heart of God Almighty. <clears throat> and the younger son comes, and he wants his inheritance, and he goes, I'm heading out of that world, man, I'm going to live it up, man, party time, right? What do they call that in the Amish? Rush Springer, Springer, whatever. They're going out there, and and he just wants to live wild. So he goes out there, right, and he lives a wildest life and partying, immorality, everything else. And I'm sure that father was praying for him, and I'm sure that father just wanted a restored relationship, but something had to take place in that heart. Something dynamic had to take place in that heart that only God could do. In verse 17, so he goes out, spends all his money, his famine and land, you know, he's, he's eating pig's food. That's where sin will take you. That's where rebellion will take you. Places you never thought you'd go, doing things you never thought you'd do, and being there longer than you ever thought you'd stay. And he came to himself. So he's starting to think clearly again. And he remembered, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. But, but look at this, okay? This guy was demanding entitlement. Man, he's just an entitled teenager, you know, entitled to his inheritance and going into that world that you warned me about, Dad. And he says, I will. Arise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say unto my father, I have sinned. He owned it. Look, there was something different in his life. He says, I have sinned, and look what he says here. Now, he says, I sinned against heaven and before thee. So he knew that the life that he lived, the decisions that he made, broke up some, fractured something here, and he got that fixed. And once he got that fixed, he knew he could get this fixed. And he didn't come back demanding his rights. He didn't come back with any entitlement perspective at all. He says, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Just make me as one of thy servants. But the key was, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Now, the Bible tells us this. For a godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Okay? That, that's a repentance that sees our sin before God, causes us to turn. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. And why is that? Because the sorrow of the world is just remorseful. You know why? Because it's self-centered. Oh, look what I did. Oh, my God, I made such a mistake. My life's so hard now. I'm so sad about everything. My life's hard. You know? And it's all me-centered. It's all I-centered. It's all narcissism. The other one's about the glory of God. And that was the difference. And I believe what we're seeing here from a New Testament perspective, looking back into the Old Testament, I believe that these guys experienced a godly sorrow. A Psalm 51 sorrow, because Joseph knew that restoration was possible with them because of what God had done within their hearts. Go to Galatians 6 with me, if you will. So we know, from what we just saw, that Joseph was a wise man. He wasn't just a wise man, he was a very spiritual man. And I'm talking spiritual, like in tune with our Creator, not spiritual, just to be flighty spiritually. But look what he says in Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, okay, write to believers, because this is the way that believers do relationships. If a man be overtaken in a fault or fallen to sin, you, which are spiritual, okay, so he's talking about people who are spiritual, he's in tune with the Holy Spirit, restore. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest they also be tempted. That word restore is a present imperative. It literally means a spiritual person's habitual practice. That means people are going to wrong you, and you got to do whatever you got to do to fix the relationship that might be fractured. Restore is a medical term. It's like putting a bone back in the joint that's been broken, okay? <laughs> Years ago, we had flag football, and... Uh, we don't really have football accommodations. It was back when the shell of the gym was up, and it was just a bunch of stones in there. And we were playing football in uh, in there, it turned into a dust bowl, But we persevered. Anyhow, uh, I remember throwing a pass to my son, and, and he caught it, and he ran into the wall, and he came back, and his finger was bent in a different direction. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, somebody take over practice. We're heading over to Warsaw, right? And I told, I hate going to the doctor. I hate going to the house. I hate all. If I can fix it myself. Two of my kids have had stitches in the last couple of weeks, and I'm like, if I could just butterfly that thing, but it's just too bloody. But, but anyhow, so he's heading over there. I said, is there any chance you can just yell and snap that back into place? And and, and oh, I'll try that. And he did it. He did. It. He snapped it back into place. Like beautiful U-turn. Let's go back to practice. But uh, but but but. That's the picture that's putting something that's out of place back into place. I've shared with you before, you know, I I thought I was Pete Rose, went into third place and snapped my arm in half. They said it was like a tree branch breaking. I got a plate in there and and everything. But those doctors, fortunately, they worked on me. And and I remember them like taking my arm and straightening it all out and putting it in surgery and plate and screws and all that good stuff. And, And, you know, the blessing is because of what they did, it's functional today. And that's what God's saying. You want things to be functional. You want your relationships to be functional. And if you're a spiritual individual, you want to be looking to restore things that are broken. You want to put it back into its proper place. You want to get it back to where it needs to be. So that is a spiritual person's habitual practice. Habitual. So you go back to Genesis We'll get moving here. So I look at the way Joseph's treating his brothers. I see how much he valued their relationship. I see how much he was willing to restore. And and, and God sent me a question, and I, I, I pose it to you. Should I should we focus on the pain or should we focus on the purpose? Maybe there's a purpose in the pain. I mean look what a look what a woman's willing to go through to bring a child into this world. Look what a weightlifter is willing to go through to make himself athletic we're willing to endure those kind of pains because of what it produces, that maybe the pains of this life are producing something greater in us than we can even imagine that's needed for the end times in which we live. I know a lot of times when I do counseling, it's, it's not from sharing with people this highlight at a retreat or leading this person to Christ, but it's like, yeah, man, I was in that valley too. Yeah, I'm battling with that too yeah, that hurt too. Those are connecting things that that have purpose to help one another. But we look at this individual, you got an option. Here's your option. The, the, The why in a road is before you and I today. It's either bitter or better. Joseph chose better. What are you choosing? What am I choosing? The fuel that's going to help us make that decision of going one of those two directions uh, is really going to be whether we're going to walk in humility or whether we're going to walk in pride. Contentions or divisions come only by pride, but we see within here, Joseph, he was a humble individual because he lived unconditionally under God's lordship and authority. Verse 6 says, for these two years have famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall be neither earring nor harvest. And, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God used my life and all the difficulties I went through for your benefit. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? It was a lot like what Jesus was willing to do to come here and what he was willing to go through so that you and I could experience the saving of our lives and a great deliverance. I don't know if, if Joseph asked himself why. I tried to a long time quit asking why. I've tried to accept the fact that the secret things belong to the Lord. And any wise that I need to know, God will show me in the future. But until then, it's just to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Not most of it, not half of it, not some of it, but all of our heart. You can't go wrong trusting God. But we always go wrong when we choose not to trust Him.
1: So I think we
0: have to preach this message to ourselves today. God is sovereign. That means God's in control. And it needs to be more than a theology. It needs to be our present reality. Everything in my life up to this point, whether I goofed up or whether different things that were out of my control had brought me to where I'm at today, that I realize this, that God is sovereign and there's purposes that he's working for me. There's purposes that he's working for you. The challenge to ourselves is, number one, am I in Christ? Am I a Christian? And number two, am I walking in the light? Am I where I need to be? Joseph was. It's where it got him, but God used it. we got to trust God's plan. We'll unfold for a purpose that we might not know the reasons till, until the day that we step into the kingdom. And so God sent him before him because of all this deliverance that had to take place. You know, Matthew 6 tells us that our Father knows what what things we have need of before we even ask because he's omniscient, he knows all these things. It wasn't a shock to God, there's a famine coming, I better do something. He knew it. He knew it. And he was putting the pieces in place to make sure that Israel was preserved. That the Messiah would come through Judah. He's saving their lives, and he's using Joseph as a living sacrifice. We got to accept it. We can't just quote it. We can't just know it. We can't just know it's in Romans. We got to accept it that sometimes God just calls us to be that living sacrifice. He, does he have permission to use our lives at his, and his disposal in any way that he sees fit for the purposes of eternity? Unconditionally. Does he have our permission to do that? Will we accept it or will we resist against it? Because that's what he's looking for in this day. We were born for this time. But God doesn't want us to settle down for the weak Christianity that's being demonstrated across our nation. He wants us to settle for what the Bible says and what the examples encourage us to do. So, I'll read the rest of the chapter, one final point, and then we'll get out of here. So it was not you that sent me, but God. (laughs) What a revelation. And he's made me. Or no, and, and he's made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his house, which means his counselor or the one that would implant wisdom to him or he'd seek advice from. And ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now we look at people in high positions, oh, it must be nice. You got any idea what it took to get there? Hey, she go up to my father saying to him, thus, thus made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, thy flocks, and thy herds, and and all that thou hast, and look at this, and I will nourish thee. Not only do I forgive you, I'm going to take care of you and bless you. So we've seen unconditional love. We've seen forgiveness. We've seen mercy, not giving them what they deserve. But now we see grace. We see them giving them what they don't deserve. Unearned favor, lavishing them with care and gifts. And behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaks to you, and you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt. So now they got to go back and they got to admit to their dad, hey, dad, what we told you 22 years wasn't quite true. They got to confess a lie that caused their father so much pain. You got to remember this Satan is the father of all lies. In the moment we choose to lie, we submit ourselves to the devil. We haven't been called to submit to the devil. We have the grace to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. What in the world did they talk about? I wish I could have heard this conversation. Was it apologies? Was it just memories, was it reminiscent? Joseph, are you married? Do you have children? Tell me about your, I don't know. We can only speculate. And the fame thereof was heard Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, say unto, my, unto thy brethren, this do you, laid your beast and go get you into the land of Canaan. Take your father, your households and come unto me and I will give you the good of Egypt and you shall eat of the fat of the land. It's unbelievable. The, people, the last people who de- deserved a blessing in his life are getting hugely blessed. Because that's the way of the kingdom. Now thou art commanded this, do you take the wagons of the land Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come and regard not your stuff for the good of the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandments of Pharaoh, gave them provision for the way. To all of them, he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver. <laughs> the other guys already got their silver. They had to split up 20. Benjamin got 300 and fine changes of raiment. And to his father, he sent after this manner: 10 donkeys laden with good things of Egypt, Ten she-donkeys laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. And he sent his brethren away and departed. And he said, see that you fall not by the way, so don't get discouraged and don't argue along the way, he's basically telling them. And they went up unto Egypt and came in the land of Canaan unto Jacob, their father. Now, now think about this encounter. I don't know who the spokesman was, but they, they said, uh, and they told him saying, uh, you know, Joseph's alive. And he's governor over all the land of Egypt. What in the world must it have been like to hear that? And Jacob's heart fainted, and and he believed them not. They came with a simple message. Your son who you thought was dead is not dead. He's alive in another kingdom. And even as I announced today about Harley's grandmother who had faith in Jesus Christ... Dead ones aren't dead; they're alive in another kingdom. And there's a reunion coming that we're going to see in Genesis. And there's a reunion coming because pretty soon we're going to be summoned as a church, and the Lord's going to say, "Come up hither," and we're gone. And we're to comfort one another with these words. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he'd said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father revived. And Israel said, it is enough, Joseph, my son is yet alive. I will go and I will see him before I die. We close out this chapter, but I think there's so much in there that holds so much value that we need to revisit. Because we've got the way of this kingdom and we got the way of God's kingdom. And the principles are in contrast one to another. We've got the flesh and we've got the spirit. And its truths and leadings are in contrast one to another. And I think it's so important for us as the people of God to realize that to be the light of the world and to be the salt of the earth... The Holy Spirit teaches us and strengthens us to do things in a totally different way. What do you think if Pharaoh's brothers did that to him? What would have happened with them? But not this guy who knew the living God, who loved the living God, who had the living God alongside him. And because of that, the living God's very nature and character invaded his so other people could see the living God through him in a way that he handled his brothers in this situation, may it be an example to every one of us. Father, we bless you and we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of unconditional love who offers forgiveness, who extends mercy, and gifts us with grace, Lord. We're like the brothers. We're just recipients, Lord, of so many good things from you, things that we didn't earn and things we certainly don't deserve, but we're so thankful that we receive them because it's in your heart to give them to us. And I pray today, Lord, that we would view our lives through the lens of Scripture and that you would truly help us to see things from a perspective that is eternal. And that, Lord, even when the wise come into our life, that you would help us not to try to figure out things we might not be able to figure out, but just to trust you. And to know that as we walk with you, your plan for us is unfolding. And it doesn't always unfold when the seas are calm and when the fires don't exist. But so many times, like with Joseph, Lord, it's through the trials and it's through the troubles of life that you're working within us a far more exceedingly weight of glory. Thank you for the lives that are here today. I pray that the life of Joseph and your word, Lord, would minister to the hearts here today that are going through deep waters Thank you that when we walk with through the fires that you're with us, Lord. Thank you that you're the same God to us as you were to Joseph. Thank you we have so much since his life written for us to hold on to. When things are difficult, I pray for a refreshing and a renewing of your love over your people today.
1: We thank you for who you are to us, in Jesus' name.